Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? Job 24 Welcome to Canaanbaum Podcast, a podcast designed for, to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaanbaum Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, the Wells, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Tom Barthel, serving as pastor at Christ Lutheran, a Wells congregation in Baxter, Minnesota. This is episode number 76. Freedom in Christ is shared by Pastor Mark Falk. Galatians 6, verse 11, with his own hand. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. NIV 1984. From this one sentence, students of the Bible have inferred that Paul did not actually pen the whole letter of the Galatians. Paper was rare in the ancient world, expensive. To be a scribe was to have a specialized skill. Paul was a highly educated and brilliant man. His Greek shows the depth of his command of this language. But it seems apparent that he only wrote a small fraction of this letter here at the end with his own hand. This is probably the case with all the epistles. The letters, that is, the ABCs, were simply too large in a day of expensive paper. He employed someone with the skills of a scribe, an amanuensis, a secretary. Does this matter? Well, sometimes little things are big things. Sometimes not getting a handshake is nothing. Sometimes it sends a clear message. In this case, Paul has passionately defended the gospel. His words have been direct, bordering on blunt. He has called these people he loves foolish Galatians. Luther did the same thing from his pulpit in Wittenberg. We... uh, in this century, blanch at such speech. We live in an age that can curse like a sailor, tell off-color jokes, but is sometimes unable to bear the kind of things that Paul and Luther uh, said. Having said that little things can sometimes be big things, I think that this little thing is a very big thing. Paul is showing that his concern for the Galatians is personal. That nothing he has said or written, no matter how direct, has been done from anything less than heartfelt and gospel-moved concern. He has one goal, that they might all share heaven. This goal is in the hands of the Holy Spirit, but Paul is the Holy Spirit's tool. We must, each of us, thank God for those who in our youth or in our old age have had a zeal for our salvation. Like Paul, they reflect the urgency of God's love. God sent forth his own Son to a depth of suffering for sin on the cross that the human mind can never fully grasp. God suffered under the wrath of God. God cried out for pain, out in pain. He asked not to drink that bitter cup if there was another way. We must draw the conclusion that there was no other way. Sin, our sin, is such a big deal and so offensive to God that only the blood of God in the flesh can cover it, and cover it, it does. With my own hand reflects Paul's passion for this truth and for the salvation of the believers in the Galatian churches. Reliable tradition reports that Paul died for 
this truth. You Came to Live in Me, a song written and performed by Stephen Bautista.
God's Word for You, shared by Pastor Timothy Smith. God's Word for You, Job 24. We'll read verses 1 to 12. And and before I get to the verses, um, I've been mentioning some of the Ten Commandments and uh, numbering the Ten Commandments. Um, And listeners who uh, might be lifelong Lutherans or who might be uh, from a Roman Catholic background or Jewish um, in their background um, might have no problem with with the way that we've been using the numbers of the Ten Commandments. But be aware that there are many Christians in the world, uh, Methodists and Baptists and so forth. Um, uh, There are also uh, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons who follow a different numbering of the Ten Commandments, a more recent uh, variation on how you number the Ten Commandments. And that the, the two versions of, of numbering the commandments are not necessarily unscriptural. Um, the problem is, in the Hebrew text of Exodus 20 and of Deuteronomy 5, where we have the commandments actually listed and numbered, um, we're told that they are the ten sentences, the ten commandments of God, and yet there are more than ten sentences there. There are... Uh, 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 there, there, there are more than 10 commands. There seem to be 11 or even 12. And how do you break them down into which ones? Ancient Christians generally um, uh, took the two coveting commandments, don't covet your neighbor's house, followed by don't covet your neighbor's uh, wife, workers, or animals, or anything else, and, and, and said that those are, those are two different things. And in fact, the first one of those, don't covet your neighbor's house, does seem to relate to the Old Testament inheritance laws, in, in, in addition to property in general, but inheritance, which was a very big deal in Israel, so that the tribe of Judah, for example, would remain the tribe of Judah, and some land investor from Benjamin wouldn't come down and buy up, you know, the the the, the town of Bethlehem, for example, a couple miles south of Jerusalem, so that it might be no longer in the tribe of of Judah, but up in the tribe of Benjamin because of property rights. And there was even a system called the Jubilee year, where every 50th year, everything would revert back to its original owner to also help with this. Now, on the other hand, on on the other end of the commandments, in the first commandment, there is don't have any other gods. And then there's also don't make any graven image. And later, uh, believers have sort of broken those into two different commandments. Uh, don't make any idols as opposed to uh, don't have any other God in your heart. And uh, which way is the correct way of understanding? Um, they're both fine. They're both satisfactory. They're both understandings of God's holy word. But understand that that I'm not insisting on, on one or the other numbering of the commandments, but I am going to use the one that I grew up with and that um, my, my, my church uses. So here in Job uh, 24... Uh, before this, Job has been confessing his faith and asking questions at the same time, and we've seen him make, make statements that remind us of, of the first commandments. And in the opening verses of chapter 24, he's going to remind us of three more commandments. So verses 1 and 2 first. Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? There are those who move boundary stones. They pasture flocks they have stolen. Here, Job sees sin and treachery in people who steal property by moving boundary stones. Not long ago, there were some families along the Rio Grande in Texas who who had discovered that a fence had been built along the U.S. and Mexican border, and the fence had placed the homes of those American families on the Mexican side of the fence. The boundaries seemed to have moved, and in their case, there was a legitimate, if 
kind of strange mistake, and I, I hope they got it resolved. I don't know how that actually finished up. But in Job's time, there was something more sinister taking place. Moving a boundary stone meant that a critical watering hole or mountain pass or, or road might become somebody else's property. It was a kind of theft that could destroy a rancher. And Job's words here remind us of the ninth commandment, which teaches us to love and protect each other's home and inheritance. The ninth commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. And I remember Martin Luther explained it with these words, we should fear and love God that we do not scheme to get our neighbor's inheritance or house or obtain it by a show of right, but do all we can to help him keep it. Verses 3 and 4. They drive away the orphan's donkey and take the widow's ox in pledge. They thrust the needy from the path and force all the poor of the land into hiding. Now, although much of what Job says in this chapter does recall the, the, the Ten Commandments, the eighth is one that goes just about untouched. But in this verse, we see another sin that Job saw. Wicked men were stealing from people who had no defense and no one to stand up for them, orphans, widows, the poor, the needy. One of the ways people cheat each other is by lying in court about what belongs or does not belong to them. And very probably, this is one of the things Job saw happening, lying about somebody for dishonest gain, as the commandment, the Eighth Commandment says, is giving false testimony or bearing false witness. The Eighth Commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And Martin Luther explained it, to us in this way, we should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. And actually, that same set of verses, verses 3 and 4, the, the orphan's donkey, the widow's ox, also reminds us of, uh, of stealing, which would be uh, the seventh commandment, and even of coveting uh, your neighbor's animals, which is uh, involved in the 10th commandment as well. But uh, let's move along down to the verses uh, 5 through 12. Like wild donkeys in the desert, they, the, the poor go about their labor of foraging food. The wasteland provides food for their children. They gather fodder in the fields and glean in the vineyards of the wicked. Lacking clothes, they spend the night naked. They have nothing to cover themselves in the cold. They are drenched by mountain rains and then hug the rocks for lack of shelter. The fatherless child is snatched from the breast. The infant of the poor is seized for a debt. Lacking clothes, they go about naked. They carry the sheaves but still go hungry. They crush olives among the terraces. They tread the wine presses yet suffer thirst. The groans of the dying rise from the city. And the souls of the wounded cry out for help, but God charges no one with wrongdoing. In the beginning of that piece, verse 6, the word fodder occurs. And I've been noticing uh, as I teach catechism class to young people that a lot of people don't understand the word fodder because it's, um, it's misused in the Star Wars movies. Um, in a couple of of Star Wars movies, you hear in another it's a, it's in one of the made up languages. Um, I think it was Jabba the Hutt who threatens to grind somebody up into bantha fodder. I think he says bantha pudu in in, in the Huttese language, and that would mean uh, food. 
But later on, you hear that word in, in, in Star Wars in, in, in kind of that foreign language used as kind of like a curse word. Um, and, uh, and there it wouldn't mean food. It would mean something on the other end of the body probably. And I think and, and, and some of our young people misunderstand because of that what fodder means. But it's food. Um, uh, so a, a, a misunderstanding that wouldn't have had to have happened. The scene really painted here by Job's words is of damage done by wicked men who covet and snatch away anything that they please. And the word covet means to sinfully desire something that we can't have. When we fall into the sin of coveting, we come dangerously close to breaking virtually all of the other commandments. So may God help us to be content with the blessings he gives to us. May he guard us from the dangers of coveting. May he turn our eyes away from desire, our hearts away from longing. May he open his hands and satisfy our desires with his good blessings. The 10th commandment uh, said, You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, workers, animals, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. And Martin Luther explained these words this way. He said, We should fear and love God that we do not force or entice away our neighbor's spouse, workers, or animals, but urge them to stay and do their duty. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. We'll close with a song by Cross to Glory. It's titled, the Father's Son. No, my love, see my smile since you started out, my little child. I have been and I will always be. God in your life to keep you safe with me I was there when you came into this world Gave you my name through the water and the world From you I'll never turn And I will always be with you Growing up, learning the ropes well, Life is full of your dreams and hopes well, Learning fast, life has its ins and outs well, Look to me, I'll show you what it's all about I will be there to take Take your hand I am your refuge And I will help you stand You're mine, I know you can And I will always be With you Time to time You fall down Evil vices keep coming round Oh, giving in to your sinful flesh 
Wondering how you made this life such a mess But I will be there when you're, when you're down and low You are forgiven, I wanted you to know My love will never go And I will always be with you Life goes by Oh so fast But the life I give Forever lasts When the darkness shades your Closing eyes I will be with you right By your side When that day finally comes Hold you in my arms I have saved you and kept you from all harm And you will always be You will be with me Cause I will always be with you Starting now, growing up, falling down, rising up. I will always, I will always, I will always be, I will always be with you. You've been listening to Kanenbaum Podcast, episode number 76. This podcast was first shared in July of 2014. To learn how you can support the artist featured on this podcast, visit com. We encourage you to find a Wells Ministry location nearest you. Visit wells.net. Thanks for joining us. Growing up, falling down, rising up, I will always, I will always, I will always be, I will always be with you. I will always be with you.